Oh, man. That's good. I appreciate Chris putting that together. appreciate those moms. All of them have been through our parent training class here at, uh, at the church. Man, uh, Pam just reminded me that uh, when our traveling was, we'd got no warning and then throw up in the back seat. And uh, I don't know how many times I'd be driving and just start swatting at three kids, hoping I'd get the right one. You've been there. Just, one of you did something at that We've all been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still want to be there sometimes, right? Oh, man. Well, happy Mother's Day, moms, you that are here. Um, I want to I wanna do something right quick. I want to just have all of our females remain standing, all of us males. Let's stand. And, uh, you know, I, uh, men, that's men, uh, excuse me. Uh, what did I say? Males stand. Females remain seated. Sorry about that. Um, okay. Lost control. ADD church today. Um, you know, I know many of you ladies are in different places. Some of you are, are uh, not even married yet, but, uh, you know, you're praying. That God does something with you females that's just an incredible blessing, the nurturing that he, that he put in all of you. And so... Uh, we as men just want to stand today, and men, let's just honor these ladies. Can we do that? Let's bless them. Come on. Come on. Let's bless them. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Bless you, ladies. Yeah. Bless you, ladies. And uh, what I'd like to do, men, if there's a, a lady close to you, just put a hand on their shoulder, and we're just gonna we're just gonna pray. All right, we're just gonna pray over these ladies today. Well, Lord, we bow before you, and uh, we declare that you are God alone, and you are a God of uh, much creativity. You uh, created us guys, kind of um, emotionless at time, and kind of stoic, and and uh, kind of black and white, and then you gave us these beautiful ladies who uh, bring color and creativity and curves to life, and we are grateful. And so, Lord, we pray blessings today. As uh, as uh, Brett said, some are, um, uh, this is a joyful day, some it's a morning day, but, Lord, we're going to trust you to meet us at our point of need today as we open your word. So, Lord, to you be the glory, and thank you for these ladies. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, some of you may not be aware of too much history, but I just kind of give you a little bit. Um, Mother's Day was designated as a national holiday in uh, 1914 by Woodrow Wilson. Kind of interesting history uh, behind that, though, is that there was a lady by the name of Anna Jarvis, and her mother's name was Anna Jarvis as well. But uh, what uh, her mother... Uh, they were coming out of the Civil War. It was a time for the uh, nation to uh, reconstruct, obviously, of all of the damage that had been done. Well, uh, Anna Jarvis, the mom, uh, she had this heart burden that she really believed that it was going to be moms who were going to be crucial for the rebuilding of, of the structure of the United States. And, man, what an incredible prayer that she would lift up. 
And uh, I believe that today. I believe that all that we're going through, all the crud we're going through, moms, you're going to be instrumental in the restructuring of what has to happen spiritually in our nation. But uh, Anna, the daughter, saw that her mom had these prayers and saw the power that she believed moms had. So Anna Jarvis, the daughter, made a push to have a, a special day. So it began in West Virginia in 1910. And it began to build up strength, and we uh, had Mother's Day, so Woodrow Wilson finally said in 1914, this will be a national day. Here's the interesting rest of the story, Paul Harvey kind of thing, is that uh, in 1923, Anna Jarvis, the one who had pushed to have a, a Mother's Day, was actually arrested at a Mother's Day um, celebration because at this celebration they were selling carnations to make money off of Mother's Day. And she never wanted the Mother's Day to become a day when somebody would make money off of, off of this thing. It was to honor moms alone without becoming a commercialized day. And on her deathbed, Anna Jarvis said she wished she would have never come up with Mother's Day. It's kind of an interesting thing. But she saw it as a day of honoring moms, not to commercialize upon moms. And so I thought, man, that's getting back to the genuine heartbeat of, of what that's all about. But uh, moms, we do, uh, we're very honoring of you today. We worship Jesus, we honor you, okay? And uh, um, G. Campbell Morgan, who was a great pastor, great preacher, orator for, uh, at the Westminster Chapel in London, we've worshiped there before, but G. Campbell Morgan, when he was the pastor there, he, uh, uh, dynamic speaker, he and his wife had four sons, and all four of these sons went into the ministry as well as preachers. And uh, one day they were all at the house together, and there were some other guests there. And one of these guests decided to put uh, Howard, the youngest son, on the spot among all of the uh, people that were there. And they, they asked Howard this. They said, Howard, who is the best preacher among all of you Morgans? And he looked at his dad with great respect, and then he said, our mom is the best preacher of the Morgans. And I think that uh, I, I would say in here that uh, many of you are like me, a praying mom is probably how you came into the kingdom. And so, uh, you know, it's one thing to eat all the meals and have all the pats on the back and the skin knees that they took care of, but it's another thing to say that someday I'm going to be in the kingdom because I had a praying mom. And so I know you join me in that. And, and I really believe, moms, with all the junk that we seem to be focusing on in our nation today, I believe that you <clears throat> rock the cradle that can change this this United States of America. And so I, I encourage you to do that. But just today for a few minutes, I want to kind of challenge us uh, in a positive way. And, and you can go to Deuteronomy chapter 32. It seems like an odd place to go uh, a moment. But uh, Moses, we have been, you know, we're talking through Joshua. Uh, we'll be get back to Joshua 3 next week. But uh, Moses has come to the end of his life. And the people are coming to the point where they're going to go into the promised land. Moses isn't going to be able to go, but he's recounting all the history of everything they've gone through. And, and God gives him a song. And it just seems like song is, uh, music is a great way to memorize anything, and especially the history of what they did. And he goes through this song that God has given him. And he says this in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 10 through 12. He says this is part of this historical song that he's singing. He says, in a desert land, he found him. And he's talking about the children of Israel. In a barren and howling waste, he shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest 
and hovers over its young that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinions. The Lord alone led him. No foreign God was with him. That verse 11 is a strange verse. It's talking about this eagle, like the eagle stirs up its nest and ho- hovers over its young, then spreads its, ink, its wings to catch them. It's a picture of a eagle, mother eagle, teaching its young how to fly. In other words, she takes her huge long wings and this, this eagle that is there, she begins to beat those wings and to begin to, to fly and it creates a vibration so that this little one even begins to hover itself. But it's also a picture of her scaring this little eagle spitless that he's going to want to get out of the nest. And that's the picture that uh, Moses is giving of God leading his people. There's another passage that's a little bit more familiar when it comes to eagles. It's in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 through 31. Let me read this one to you. It says, Do you not know and have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. Some of you need to hear that today. He gives strength to the weary. And he increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. There's a reason that Moses and Isaiah use the eagle for its description because of the majesty it is. And the majesty is even seen in our country as our being our national bird, even though Benjamin Franklin wanted to make the turkey originally our uh, national bird. I'm glad he lost out on that. But the bald eagle has become our national symbol, and there's a reason for it. And there's a reason that Moses used it. And so what I want to do is I want to talk to you about eagles just for a few minutes. And then I want to talk to you about the challenge we have of what God wants to do with us. And then, moms, I've got a special word for you as we look at this. But I want you to think of with me about eagles just a second. Now, some of you may know eagles better than me. This is just from my studies. But first of all, eagles have one mate for life. They'll live about 30 years at the, at the, the length, and uh, they'll have one mate for life. They come back to the same nest every year after they migrate. They will come back to that same nest. Some of you have gone out to Lano and seen those eagles that were out there, and and, uh, you may have seen others, these eagle watches that you have on the Internet. But they will come back. The same will come back every year. And they will build their their nest up in the cliffs or up in the high trees is where they'll build them so they can see any kind of enemy that will come. They can see um, uh, food that they can go capture. Also, uh, it's a protective device to build up there. And as they build up there, they will come back to that same nest and they will add to it every year. But this is the way the eagle will build its nest. It starts with limbs uh, and it will build these limbs and these sticks and these twigs and that that will be the bottom of the nest. Then what it does, it takes some of its own feathers and it will spread those feathers out to to make the the sticks uh, where you can lay the eggs in them, and so when the little eagle is born, it will have a softer area. And then what it does, the eagles will go and get pelts of animals that they have killed and eaten, and they will take those pelts and put those in the nest as well. So it's soft, so that when they give, uh, they lay the eggs, the eggs will have a soft place, and when the eagle is born, the little eaglet is born, it will have a cushioned 
uh, nest for it to be there. Most eagles have one. You could have maybe two, but uh, but one eagle is usually born, like I say, one or two, and uh, it will be about 35 weeks of that egg uh, being there. And uh, what will happen is is that uh, uh, that egg will will be in that nest. Excuse me, th- not 35 weeks, 35 days that it will be there. Can you imagine that? 35 weeks. Um, but the the little eagle will will be in that cushioned area and what will happen is is that eagle will be born now little eagles just like little babies that are born are very weak and helpless it's not thinking that it's a hunter it's not thinking that it's a flyer it it's going to take everything for those parents to take care of those eagles but here's the deal the eaglet is not meant to stay in the nest he's meant to fly he's meant to get out of there but here's one thing that they, they, they discovered about eagles is that a little eaglet, it's, it's the word called imprint. Imprint means you make an indentation, an imprint on, on something, an impression upon something, and it's lasting. A little eaglet will, will, will become imprinted by the first thing it attaches to. You know, there have been stories, fables about eagles that were raised with chickens and they, they started acting like chickens and these kind of things. But the mom and the dad eagle have that imprinting. That's what they are there to do. Their imprint upon that eaglet and he will become like them. Parents, what an incredible word that is. We are called to bring imprinting upon our families and upon our kids. But these little ones are born and, and they're not meant to stay there. But about 10 weeks into this, it's time for the little eagle to learn how to fly. So what do they do to make sure this eagle is going to do what it's supposed to do? First thing that happens is, is they begin to remove the pelts, those furry pelts from the nest. Now the little eaglet doesn't have his cushion anymore. It's starting to get uncomfortable. They start to withhold food a little bit or they bring the food and they don't bring it right into the nest. They bring it to the outer part of the nest so the eaglet has to move away from the nest in the tree or on the cliff, but to move away because the, the eagles are trying to get a, a cross imprint upon their eaglet. He's not meant to stay in this nest. In fact, if he stays in this nest, he will die. So they, they start to bring food. They seem to come around a little bit less, leaving the eaglet there by himself uh, to kind of figure out what is going on. He's starting to get uncomfortable. And then what happens is the pelts have been removed. Now mom removes the feathers. So it's just sticks. And he really doesn't feel comfortable with that. He's starting to think, I'm getting less food. Mom and dad are around a little bit less. I am not feeling comfortable with this nest. i got to figure out what I'm supposed to do. But mom and dad know that he was meant to fly. And so they got to get him out of the nest. So then the mom does what Deuteronomy 32 says. Is she begins to stir up the nest by hovering over him with her wings and begins to flap and to flap and to flap. Part of that is to create a, a, a wind for the little one to understand what he's supposed to do. But number two, it's to scare him to death. It's to get him scared and frightened that he gets to start thinking, I don't think I'm supposed to stay in this nest. And so once again, he starts to make moves. And then what he does is that because of the temptation of the need for food and the discomfort of the nest, the little one figures out he's got to go somewhere else and he figures out he's supposed to fly. 
So what happens is he begins to jump around in the tree or on the cliff or he, he gets a little lift out of, his, out of the nest where he's at and then he makes the move. And he leaves from the cliff or he leaves from the tree and he begins to, to initially uncomfortably get out there in the air, flap those big wings that he knows he's supposed to use, and he begins to glide and he begins to coast. But what he's doing in the midst of that is mom and dad are right there by him. And they're watching as it happens. Some, I've not seen a video of it, but it's been said that sometimes the mom or the dad eagle will come under him. And it's, that's what it says. He will catch them on his pinions just to make sure he can glide safely. And eventually that little eaglet will make his way as he flies all the way down to a meadow or a soft area where he is able to land. And what it says about that is that when he gets to the bottom, mom and dad will be there with a much needed meal that he can have to give him strength for what he has just gone through. But what has happened is, in the midst of that whole process is, is the eaglet has learned that he's not meant to stay in the nest. And the mom and dad know that, that he is to fly, because if he stays in the nest, he will die. And that's incredible. And that's why Moses uses that illustration of, of the eagle. But how is that relating to us spiritually? I mean, how is God like that eagle in our lives today? Can we even identify with that? Let me, let me give it a shot and see what you think. Well, first of all is this. We are born for more than we think we're, we're, we're born for. God has created us in such a way that we are to fly. But what has happened is, is that many of us as Christ followers are living well below what we should be doing. God sees so much more in us than, he see, than we see in ourselves. But this is what happens. When you come to Christ, whether you're a child or a student or an an adult, what happens is is the church is like the nest. And there's a comfort there. You're you're hearing somebody preach. You're hearing somebody teach. You're hearing somebody love on you and and bring comfort to you and these kind of things. And so what happens is, is, man, the nest is very comfortable. And we get very comfortable in the nest. But what happens is, is we get so comfortable in the nest that we forget what we're called to do because somebody else is feeding me. Somebody else is taking care of me. Somebody else is doing this for me. And we need to be pushed out of the nest. So what happens is, is God in his wisdom has incredible ways of making us feel uncomfortably spiritually. Uh, for me personally, one of those things was I had a youth minister that uh, very close to and uh, when I was a, when I was a student, and he, I'll never forget him getting up and announcing that God had called him to another church. Man, I'm thinking, gosh, you have just abandoned us. What am I going to do? How am I going to spiritually exist without you being here? But yet, what was happening is, is God was using that to make me un- uncomfortable, so that it wasn't somebody else feeding me. I was going to have to learn to feed myself. And so God was doing that in a positive way to get me uncomfortable because I wasn't meant just to sit and let somebody else feed me. I needed to start feeding for myself and growing myself. And, and this is the way I look at it is that if we as a church are not creating a little bit of an uncomfortable nature in you, if you're dependent on, on uh, Alan or, or Samantha or, or Ashley or or Brett, or myself, or somebody to teach you, or your teacher to teach you, and you are not learning to feast on your own, we're being unsuccessful. Because we are called to push you beyond what you can ever do for yourself. But what happens is, is that you start to get that uncomfortable, and you start 
seeing what it means for you to grow because you know you were meant for more than what you're experiencing. That what another thing that God does is he will put people in your life who will show you the Christian walk in a genuine way. And you get envious of what they got and you start thinking, that's what I want. I want to be like that person. I I see God in their life. I see them growing. I see a joy and a love. I want to be like that. And so once again, the Holy Spirit makes you uncomfortable. He's pushing you out of the nest. What are you going to do? Are you going to stay where you're at? Because you're going to die in that nest. You're going to start to spiritually stink. Are you going to get out and be what God created you to be? And then you make that move. You, you, You say, okay, God, here I am. I don't know all that you're asking for me. It's like Abraham. God told Abraham, go, I'll show you where you're going to go. You just leave. And God, and, and that's what we do. We come to God and say, okay, God, here I am. I don't know what I have to offer you, but uh, here we go. And so you take that step of faith, and we come to what Henry Blackaby called a crisis of belief. Is God going to be real, or is he not going to be real at this point? And we make that step of faith, whatever it may be. And, and uh, we take that step. And then what we find is that the very Holy Spirit of God has gone before us already. Whether it's loving on our neighbors in a genuine way, loving on our classmates, loving on our workmates, being bold with the gospel somehow, maybe going into the ministry or teaching a class or or singing in the worship team or, or whatever it may be, we take that step of faith only to see that God has gone before us. And he's already taken care of it. And that crisis of belief that we've come to him. And now we we feel strong. Faith is like a muscle. It gets stronger when we go through that. And what we do is we find that he has already gone before us and he has taken care of us. You know, you know, what I think about is, is that um, I really believe that there have been times in my life I've lived well below what God intended for me. And he has those ways of being uncomfortable making me feel uncomfortable. Almost those points, have you ever been there where, where it's almost like, God, where are you? Kind of moments. And I guarantee you, God has not disappeared. He's just wanting you to search for Him because our faith will become so weak if we're not always pursuing after Him. Maybe some of you are there today. God's pushing you out of your comfortable nest, man. You got so comfortable. I'm so comfortable as long as... We get good preaching, we get good worship, we get a good teacher, we get somebody that's doing, chewing my food for me and then feeding me. I'm good. And there's nothing wrong with that stuff. But if you don't learn how to feed yourself, you're never going to become all that God intended for you to be. Now, let's shift gears one more time. I want to talk to you moms just a moment. Now, let me talk, let me say it this way. Maybe you females in the room. Some of you are eagles. And you got, uh, and so let me use that as uh, your season with your eaglet just a minute. Some of you are not married, but you're waiting for the perfect mate, right? You're waiting for God, God's will, and you hope that will shows up sometime. Or you're wanting God's grace, and you hope grace shows up really soon. And that's what you, that's what you're doing. And, and you're at that point. Let me just encourage you this. Don't settle for anything less than God's best. Let me tell you, just don't. Don't. It's well worth the wait to get God's best. But that's where some of you are right now. You're in that season of saying, God, and some of you may be in a season where you're not even looking, but that's, you know, if God were to bring that, that's fine. Now, some of you have already found your mate for life, but uh, you are in that place of preparing your nest. 
Now, you may not have an eaglet soon, but you're preparing that nest. You've come to that point of, of um, preparing for that one day when that little one will come into your house. Some of you are busy nurturing and providing for that little one or the little ones that God has given you. And uh, we, in our home, we prayed about it, and uh, God gave us Josh. And then we decided God and his creativity had another way of doing things because we wanted our children close together so they would grow up close together and know one another. So at 19 months old, or 18 months old, um, we got twins. And uh, back in those days, um, you know, Fiedelman's three is, uh, but there's something about multiples that is a blessing. We found out two weeks before they were delivered that we were having twins. So all of a sudden, we think we have a plan. And uh, let me let me say this to you, because somebody's going to say, well, we're going to have kids when we can afford it. <laughs> you will never be in that position. So God's God's got a plan. But uh, you're at that point of busyness. And I have seen the job description for the mother of a preschooler, and I don't want that job. It is the greatest job in the world, but I know it's very fatiguing. But then I'm going to honestly tell you this. It will pass. And that time will come when you will miss it. But you're just wanting to get to that point. Some of you are at that point of starting to remove things from the nest to make your eaglet feel uncomfortable. I don't know what you're removing, but you're trying to take away certain things so that they can learn responsibility, right? You're, you're at that place because if they do not learn independence, this world will suck them under and they will not make it. So you have got to do that. You've got to make the nest uncomfortable for them to learn independence and start to learn life skills so that they can get out there and make it. And so you're having to remove certain things that when they were little were great for comfort, but now you're having to remove those things so that they can learn how to fly on their own. Some of you moms are dealing with some loud, squawking teenage eagles that want to fly because they think they're ready to fly, but they're not ready to fly. That's why in the adolescence years, there's so much rub. It's, uh, it happens, and, and there's eye rolls, and there's sarcasm, and there's um, quiet moments. And because this tension comes, because this teenage eaglet is thinking that they're ready to take on the world, and you, because the world has knocked you around so much, know they're not ready, but the tension is always there. Here's a, here's a word of encouragement. If you're a parent of a teenager, you're actually the dumbest you're ever going to be in your life. <laughs> because, and they'll tell you that too, okay? But here's the deal. By the time they're in their early 20s and they're out of high school in the early 20s and they're starting to find out life, all of a sudden you became a lot smarter. And then all of a sudden, when they start having kids, you're brilliant. <laughs> so just be encouraged. You're the dumbest you'll ever be if you're raising a teenager right now. But some of you are raising 
that teenage eaglet and they just haven't caught on to the fact that the nest needs to get uncomfortable. They need a push. And that's, that's hard to pray for. God, give me the wisdom and how to push when I need a push. We've always discovered that the most important thing, first of all, we weren't called to be their friends. We were called to be their parents. And with that, we knew that there would be times of radical pushback. But we always believed that the most important thing was the relationship. And so, you know, you've got to work through that with God's grace. But some of you... Mama eagles are in this room, and it's time to scare your eagle to death because they have to learn how important it is to fly. And I don't know how really to do that at times. It's not screaming at them, but it's somehow to create the oven to heat up in such a way that they realize it's important for me to get out of the nest. Some of you in this room are rejoicing over the way your eagle has learned to fly. I mean, it is exciting. You're seeing them excel. You're seeing great things happen, and you're thinking, yes, they've got it. And then some of you are in this room, and you're mourning because you watch your eagle fall time after time after time, and you're thinking, God, are they ever going to get it? Are they ever going to get it? Some of you are lamenting the empty nest. You're lamenting the fact that you miss going to practices and you miss chasing your kids to rehearsals and going to their sporting events and their school events and whatever event they may be happening. And even though there was the tension of the adolescent years, there's something about the empty nest that leaves a little bit of a hollow feeling there. But rejoice that the skies look full. And some of you are in the place of helping other moms be moms. We've lived in Round Rock for 33 years now. And there was a season that the biggest missing element in Round Rock was grandmothers and grandfathers. They just weren't here because these young families are moving here. They're trying to get their uh, business going up and they're raising their kids. And uh, uh, grandma and granddad are in another town or another state. And, and there just was a missing element here. I, I, I am so excited to see that, that grandparents are actually, it's, it's a sacrifice, but they're willing to move here to be a part of their family's life. And, and let me tell you, if you've got, um, if you're here and your parents have done that or your grandparents have moved here, make, make sure you tell them thank you because that's huge. And we are starting to see multi-generations and, and, and that is so needed. And we help make the imprint that, that we need to make. We help make that imprint with, with the parents that are there. And that's, that's the, the last deal. We are all making imprint. We are all uh, making influence and impact upon young lives or upon teenage lives. And teenagers, you're making impact upon younger lives. And the, the question is, what kind of imprint are you, are you leading and leaving. Three quick thoughts. Three quick thoughts. Number one, if you're going to leave the imprint that God expects you to leave, number one, let them see you. 
Let them see you. Love is spelled T-I-M-E. Let them see you. Don't let media raise them, even though I'm not saying avoid media. Don't let a coach raise them, even though some great coaches are there. Don't let, don't let a, a teacher, you know, yes, those are fine. But their number one imprint needs to be from you. And that's where it needs to come from. Let them see you. Be there. Um, be there all the time. Be there when they're going through whatever they're going through. Let them see you. But right behind that, number two is, let them see you warts and all. Sometimes kids think you are perfect. None of us walked uphill both ways in the snow going to school. Except for Ed. There's no way. And sometimes we, we, we want them to see our perfect side. It's like Facebook. We, we want everybody to see the great things. We only tweet out the good things. We don't, we don't tell the way it actually is. And so our kids need to know warts and all. They need to know when we struggle. They need to know when, when we're dry. We, they need to know when we're hurting. They need to know if we're struggling financially right now. They want to be part of the family. And I realize it's age discretion on when you need to share some of those things. But you need to let them know you're not perfect. Because if you're perfect and they feel like they have to head for perfection, I'm not saying that you don't have a standard, but if they have to head for perfection, they leave frustrated all the time. Let them see you warts and all. So let them see you. Let them see you warts and all. And then thirdly, let them see you loving Jesus. Let them see you loving Jesus. I know, it's, I know it's easy to put that off to somebody else. Maybe they'll get it from somebody else. But no, let them see you loving Jesus. I've said this repeatedly, but the reason we have our children in here for the first part of our services, I know they're fidgety. My goodness. I know they're trying to figure out the songs. I know they're trying to look. Do they clap? Do they not clap? Do they, what are they supposed to do? But let me tell you who they're watching. Yeah, you may be watching Brett, and everybody wants to be Chris. Everybody wants to be a drummer. But they're watching you. They're learning from you. And if you feel like worship's not that important, they, they're going to see it as not important. If they see that the Scriptures are not that important to you, it will not be that important to them. If prayer is not that important to you, prayer won't be that important to them. Sometimes we want to give them a Jesus fix, right? They need to see Jesus in skin. They need to see you. They need to see you loving Jesus, not perfection. They need to know if you, if you can say, man, I'm spiritually dry right now. Okay, good. That means if dad or mom gets spiritually dry, it's okay for me to go through some dry times. But they need to see you loving Jesus. You know, I, I love something we do here, and I, I know sometimes when you get to be a part of a church from the beginning and, and build things up, but, you know, when it came to baptism, I, I started studying the Scriptures on baptism, and, and uh, the Scriptures are silent on baptism. I think it needs to be a godly person baptizing, but it's silent there. I mean, John the Baptist obviously baptized. Jesus baptized some, but his disciples did most of the baptizing. Paul did a few, but he, could, he kept forgetting who he'd baptized. And so, and then we're baptized in the churches. And so, 
And so I'm reading the scriptures and I'm thinking, okay, I'd never been a part of a church that that really took that seriously, what the scripture says. I'd only been in churches where the pastors alone could baptize or, or a, a visiting grandfather who was a pastor or something like that would do the baptisms. And I thought, you know, Lord, dads are the pastors of their families. They should be the ones because it's going to push them out there discipling their own kids. And that's where it needs to take place. And so we make that as a availability. It's, it's not mandatory by any stretch of the imagination, but, but it is an availability to you. And I love to see the pictures. That's why you go on our baptism pages, you see these incredible pictures that are there. But let me just say this. Let them see you. Let them see you warts and all. And let them see you loving Jesus. What kind of imprint are you making? Harold Reynolds, who is an ESPN baseball analyst, he was an all-star player for the Seattle Mariners back in the day. He tells a story about growing up in Oregon that there was an NBA player by the name of Gus Williams. He says, Gus tied his shoes in back instead of in front like normal. I thought that was so cool. So I started tying my shoes in the back. I wanted to be like Gus. He wore number 10, I wore number 10. He wore one wristband, I wore one wristband. But one day, I was lying in bed and my stomach was killing me. And I noticed that it wasn't my sports hero, Gus Williams, who came to my room to take care of me. It was my mother. That's when I began to understand the difference between heroes and role models. I stopped looking at athletic accomplishments to determine who I wanted to pattern my life after. Instead, I tried to emulate people with strong character who were doing things of lasting value. Kids are always going to look to sports people. They're always going to look to entertainers. They're going to look at that. But who they're going to want to emulate the most is the one who makes the imprint, and that's you. Robert Ingersoll, who was an atheist and notorious skeptic, used to go around and speak at college campuses. And after he had spoke at one particular college campus, two of the, the students were walking away, and their conversation went like this. Well, I guess he knocked the props out from under Christianity, didn't he? And the other guy responded, no, I don't think he did. Ingersoll did not explain my mother's life. And until he can explain my mother's life, I will stand by my mother's God. Moms, imprint upon your kids. Dads, let's imprint upon our kids. We're all making an impact. Let's pray.